You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety, and comedy performers. Magazines really taught me an awful lot about, about magic and mentalism. Uh, and again, not simply the tricks, but uh, in, in the case of magazines, you get a good glimpse into the sociology. I got very, very drunk. I think I went up and made a bit of a speech, which was very slurred. And I think there's a video out there somewhere, which I had to get taken off the internet. You're starstruck that that person's actually watched your act and thinks you're good. It gets you big gigs and things like that. Magic's a community, isn't it? It's a community. The stage is huge, and then you go to the back of the room and you look at the stage and it's dwarfed because it's just such a massive venue. I put my brown underpants on that day. Hi, we're Ken and Abel, and we'd love to see you at one of our comedy and magic shows this summer. July, we will be at Foxfest on the 22nd, Durham Fringe on the 26th and the 27th, and the Deer Shed Music Festival on the 29th of July. August, you guessed it, we'll be off in Edinburgh with our show Magician to Impossible and also performing in Absurd, a cabaret panel show. Check out www.kenablemagic.com for more on all those dates. I'm Ava Bow, and I would also love to see you at my magic storytelling and comedy shows this summer. I'm away sailing the seven seas for a few weeks before August, but then you guessed it again. I am also performing at this year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival in the Voodoo Room Speakeasy at 12.35pm every afternoon apart from Wednesdays for the full Fringe. You can catch our absurd cabaret show at Whistle Binkies at 6.30pm every day there apart from Saturdays and then if that isn't enough for you, you can come to my full 75 minute magic show with interval on september the 20th in london at the crazy cox theater situated in brasserie zadel performing my show ava bow tales of magic at 9 15 pm i look forward to seeing you magician loving people there joining myself abel and ava on talking tricks absurd it's cameron gibson how are you cameron i'm good i'm good how are you very well, very yeah. well. So those people that have been listening to our new little launch series will be expecting you to tell us two filthy, horrible lies and one truth. And we're going to try and figure out which is which in would me lie to ye. But as always, before we get going with that, uh, Cameron, you're returning to Edinburgh Fringe uh, this year. What have you got going on this year? Yeah, so this year will be, I think, my like ninth year at the Fringe, which is which is wild. Um, and this year I'm in a three-man show with um, other kind of Fringe staples, um, Elliot Bibby and uh, Luke Ozzy, uh, Luke Ozlin to, to the magicians out there. Um, and we're doing a show called One Hour of Insane Magic, very cleverly titled. What's the most insane trick in the show that you do? Um, can you not tell us? Well, so, I mean, the thing, I don't know if it's the most insane, but I think the thing that we're kind of the most excited about, which we're still kind of working in in our sort of preview shows, um, we got hold of a, a really old school um, CubeZag illusion uh, for the show. And um, it, it was actually owned previously by the Royal Astronomer for Scotland, who was into a little bit of magic, and he passed away recently. So his son was selling all his magic. And he used to use this illusion to um, to explain, like, I don't know, like astronomical principles, like about stars and things. Um, so we're kind of putting a, a little spin on that and we're trying to kind of 
subvert what people expect to happen with a cube zag and do it slightly differently. But um, but yeah, so that's the thing I think we're most excited about if it if it works the way we hope it does. Um, but you know, the fringe is the fringe, and the show usually is a totally different show on day one as it is to to day twenty eight. So we'll see. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. I mean, we've recently started doing illusions for various things, and they are a pain in the ass, aren't they? Yeah, it's a totally different ball game. Um, you know, we, uh, yeah, I got into illusions a, f- a couple of years ago, which we'll maybe talk about in a bit. But um, yeah, it's just like it becomes like a logistical business instead of like a, a performance or like a, an artistic business. So it's uh, it's fun though. They're fun. Yeah, and it's so who's going in it? Well, this is the thing. We we were hoping. And we tried it a couple of times and it kind of does work. We're hoping to actually teach an audience member how it works during the show. So we're going to take somebody backstage. One of us is going to walk them through and then actually an audience member is going to do the, uh, do the illusion as like the, the big finish of the show, sort of like Michael McIntyre, unexpected star of the show style piece. Um, so that's a bit like, we're just not certain if we can, like if we get someone that isn't completely switched on to learn that illusion in like nine minutes flat then, or somebody that doesn't fit <laughs> because these boxes are not very big. Yeah, well, fitting is the issue. Like we've been doing uh, a crystal casket vanish of yeah. various things. And it's like, the fact that I can vanish in that is ridiculous yeah. because <laughs> at first we were like, oh, you need to lose some weight. You need to do this. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I've realized how to fold myself into it. Yeah. Remaining as, flabby as I am so now that's just what I do and then I walk around with like a bad neck for the rest yeah. of the day. doing your, your pre-show stretches and star jumps before you get on stage so that you can uh, limber up for it huh? yeah there's a I, proper process though isn't it because I've seen you get in and out and I was told when testing it out that I had to make sure I kept an arm free so I didn't get stuck and it's very it looks very claustrophobic with you in it yeah it's weird but then it's also like you know transporting something that size around anywhere you're like you just always happen to like stick it in a car drive down streets that you're not supposed to be on at certain times to get it to a venue that is like what is this yeah and ours is uh ours is probably from like the 50s or 60s so it's not it's like made of wood it's not made of like any modern materials and it's it's like it's an okay condition it's very charming i would say but it's like anytime we take it apart to transport it I'm like just hoping it'll go back together again. Um, but yeah, so far so good. And you're you're at the Gilded Balloon this year, right? Yeah, Gilded Balloon nightclub. So um, pretty pretty big venue. Um, I mean, that's like a 130 seater. So for the fringe, it's it's a, a good size. Um, and yeah, like ticket sales have been going in, in, insanely well. To be honest, we can't believe how uh, how well the pre sales are doing. But I think that's in part down to the name. Like we cleverly called it one hour of insane magic so that we are the second show in the whole program um and when you go to the website and hit browse shows i think we're like the fourth show that you see if you just scroll down um so i think we got like honestly lucky but like it was on purpose yeah no i tried to get to change it to the word one and we were like absolutely not that's not happening yeah you have to play the game a little bit and i'm annoyed with myself because i thought a magician as the start of my title would put me near the front, but apparently they don't count A's. So I should have right, okay. it with my name like I always do. But yeah, like, you probably don't count A's or the, I would imagine, maybe. Yeah, well. yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's the case. Yeah, we, um, 
I was actually my, my, myself and Elliot had a long conversation about this with the fringe after last year because um, my show did quite well. Me and Elliot are like best best Elliot baby are like best friends in real life. Like we spend a lot of time together here in Edinburgh. And my show did pretty well last year, but Elliot's show, and he wouldn't mind me saying this, didn't do very well at all last year. And we sort of like sat down and and, and uh, thought about it and, and tried to work out why that was. And we sort of reached the conclusion that when it comes, and we looked at the other shows that did really well and what they all had in common, especially with their sort of marketing. And we kind of reached the conclusion that with The Fringe, you kind of have to do, you kind of have to just call your show what it is. Like it's got to kind of do what it says on the tin. People don't, like the artistic names and the creative names maybe work for a certain audience. But if you want mass market and you want people to buy tickets to your show, you just got to call your show what it is like. The, the word magic's probably got to be in there somewhere and like you know um so we just thought insane magic stick the one hour of in front of it to get in the, the program early and yeah it seems to be, to be working so far yeah i mean you're 100 percent right we've never had a more marketable show than breaking the magician's code and the weird mm. thing with that is we did it three years in a row and the first year we did it in the cabaret section of the big book we were like the third show yeah, which is real lucky because yeah. now, as you said, people have cottoned on and called it ah, and, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. and stuff like that. But then it was like, oh, well, here we are. We're like the third show in the big book. Just yeah. after the B, everyone kind of expected what it was going to be like, even yeah. though it wasn't what exactly what people expected. But that was all made quite clear early on. So um, yeah. Yeah, I think if you if people are lazy as well, right? They just want to if they want to see a magic show, they just open the book or they just go on the website and they just see one that looks like it is probably not going to be terrible. They just go that that that's probably going to be good, um, and just book it. And we looked at it last year, and we, like the big successful shows, um, like the content of their shows completely aside, other than the names of people that know, you've got things like like that the adults only magic show was just like packed out every single night and. Like again, forget forget the show itself, but it just does what it says in the tin. It's a magic show, it's for adults only. You know it's gonna be like kind of alcohol fueled chaos. Um, and it's gonna be magic and people are like, Yeah, let's do that. So yeah. I think there's definitely a, a sort of a method to it. And it's a shame really, because like I know that we all want to like be a little artistic and creative and come up with a clever title that really suits the the show, but um but yeah, you gotta sort of balance these things i think you do and i mean last year was weird as well i mean obviously because like we had the bin strike we had the rail strike we had people not being totally used to coming back so it's, it was a weird one like looking back on it for us and like as you mentioned with elliot being like oh why didn't it like do as well i was hoping or expected but i do think last year was i don't think anyone did as well as yeah no I, totally i think i think yet yeah, last year was a very strange one um yeah um but i think i think again like if you've got a smaller audience to pull from like audience at the fringe you kind of just got to do everything you can to to convince your your cohort of that to come and see your show um which is obviously the big struggle with the fringe generally really isn't it it's just getting people people through the door in the first place yeah, and so you're obviously back, you're in Edinburgh now full time, but yep. you were, you were away for a little bit, weren't you? Like emigrated at the beginning of COVID or something ridiculous like that. 
Yeah, so like super long story short, at the very beginning of COVID, um, I was pl- well, before COVID, I was planning to move to Canada anyway, just for sort of like a little a little life adventure. Um, and so I got all my my visas and paperwork in place, and then COVID hit. Uh, my flight was cancelled literally two days before I was supposed to go, and I was just sort of left still here in Edinburgh with this with all this work I'd done to get this visa. Like I'd gone to like interviews and all sorts of things. Um, then Jamie Allen announced that they were casting for show in Toronto in Canada which is where I was planning to move anyway and I think he posted in the, the, the sorry the members of the magic circle like Facebook group and all the my magician friends that knew that this was my plan before sort of tagged me in it and I ended up getting in touch with him and they were very confused because they were casting local magicians for a COVID safe um immersive magic experience so I was like well I'm not a local but like I have the right to work there at the moment for the next like couple of years and they're sort of like, well, no, like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I have all the paperwork. I just need a job offer during COVID to be able to, to fly during the pandemic. So again, really long story short, it worked out perfectly. And they, uh, they hired me as the, the lead magician on uh, an amazing project over in Toronto, um, which was this sort of like, um, I mean, the story behind it actually is that this, this company, Lighthouse Immersive, they produce immersive experiences. So at the time, the biggest thing they were known for was the immersive Van Gogh exhibit, which still exists. And you basically go into a huge cavernous room that just has big white walls and they project moving versions of Van Gogh's paintings all over the walls and the floor. And it really feels like you're inside the painting to like a soundtrack. And those were super successful during COVID because you could go and do it socially distanced. So they made like, ridiculous money from this. And they were also the same production company that used to produce Jamie's uh, touring illusion show in, in North America. So he was supposed to be doing a little a, a tour and he was supposed to be doing one of his shows in Toronto and it all got canceled because of COVID. And the, the guy, Corey Ross, who owns the company said, oh, imagine we could just do like an immersive magic thing instead. And Jamie being Jamie said, oh, it's funny you say that. I've got one of those that I've been trying to do for years. Um, and yeah, this 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 thing was born, and yeah, so it was like a it was like a walkthrough experience. There was I think like seven different rooms, and you basically went through the history of magic. So the very first room was was themed around the Palais Royal, which was the birthplace of, of modern magic, and Robert Houdin. And there, there was a, a hologram of Houdini would appear and talk you through how modern magic uh, kind of began. And then a live actor would do our kind of original take on a bullet catch routine. Um, live for the audience. So you'd spend about 15 minutes minutes in each room. You then go to the next room, which was based on the Egyptian Hall in London, which is like vaudeville, sort of like a, um, David Devan, Masculine and Cook kind of era. And you had a top hat and tails magician do some sort of more, uh, <clears throat> more parlor magic in there. You then went through to what we called the secret chamber, which we did a, a live water tank escape. And all these, like each of these rooms, there's only like maximum 30 people in the room at a time. And you're the furthest person away from the stage is probably like, 15 meters away from the stage and in the secret chamber you're no further away than like four meters from this water tank so it was all you're surrounding this water tank uh we had some uh some Cirque du Soleil performers and some synchronized swimmers that we all taught how to pick like handcuffs and they would hold their breath in this tank of water for like five or six minutes and try to escape from the locks um we then had Penn and Teller were involved. So they filmed the love ritual card trick that they're really uh, well known for doing, Woody Aragon's thing. And you went into like a TV studio. So they t- talked you through the history of TV magic. And then you all did the love ritual t- with Penn and Teller on TV. 
Um, and then you finish off in this big illusion room, which was a sort of future of magic. So it's lasers and big 180 degree LED screens. And um, yeah, it was it was awesome, to be honest. That sounds incredible. Were you in the show yourself or were you producing it? From yeah, so I was a little bit of both. Um, I, I I ended up actually doing performing in every every role at one point, except for the water tank, which I really wanted to do. And actually, we ended up moving the show to Chicago for a while. And I I, I kind of set myself the goal of being because you have to hold your breath genuinely for like four or five minutes, um, which I cannot do. Uh, <laughs> very hard. Very difficult if you ever tried. But yes, yeah, so I ended up performing in every room. But then I didn't perform that much. Um, I was more overseeing the other um, magicians because we hired quite a few local magicians. We hired a lot of actors as well who had no previous magical experience. Um, so that was quite challenging, like bringing them up to speed on methods and like the psychology of how to perform magic to make it fooling. Yeah, I mean, that sounds really hard. I've done very little stuff, but some bits where it's like, oh, here's an actor, he's going to be the magician. And you're like, okay, great. And they're like, yeah, they've had the prop for a month. And you're like, okay, great. And then you meet them and you're like, this person yeah. will not get this. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was a, a, a wild experience because we originally hired just magicians, but, but a lot of them were sort of, um, you know, family magicians or close-up magicians. And, and this was very much a stage-based uh, thing. And to be quite honest, we, we found quite quickly that the magicians were really difficult to work with, which might not come to much as much of a surprise to what? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so they all had their own ideas about how things should go. And not that we very much welcomed everyone's input, but this was such a big project. And, and this, this thing, it was open for like eight hours a day. We did something like 25 shows every single day. Wow. Um, so there had to be a level of consistency there as well. So, you know, sometimes we just had to sort of shut down the more out there ideas and just say, no, like this is the way it's, it's been designed. It's, it's just got to work like this. And some of them didn't take that too well. Um, and so we sort of took a risk and decided to hire some actors and some of them were great. Some of them were genuinely amazing. Some of them are a bit more of a, a struggle. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's very difficult to, to explain the why behind certain like things, I guess as a magician, you take things for granted, right? Like once you do magic for long enough, you know that in order to sell a, a, a sleight of hand move, you have to like not look at it while you do it, or you have to like time it in the right way on the, the right beats. But trying to teach that and explain that a lot of it comes with experience, I think, and not just, um, and you understanding it's hard enough in the first place, but you've got to do it and do it and do it until you, you get it. So yeah, it was, um, it was fun, but it was very difficult. Yeah. I mean, that sounds pretty knackering as well. Is it the kind of thing that you were like, you know, after a certain, I mean, cause it sounds amazing. It sounds like a dream job. It sounds like a magician's wet dream of a place to go and look around, but also like, I can think of that and be like, oh, 25 shows a day. Like, was there a point when you were like, okay, this has got a sort of um, a, a time limit for me on how long I can commit that amount of energy a day to. I don't, I don't, to be honest with you, I would, I'd go back and do it again in, in a heartbeat. I, I think, and I was there like most hours that it was open. I didn't have to be, but I was either performing or I was nervous about letting other people loose without me being there. So I, I was like, I was very much there most of the time it was open. So it was a lot of effort, a lot of commitment, but you know, I just, it, it was just so amazing. I just loved it that 
I really enjoyed being there as well. And, um, and, and, you know, the audiences reacted really well to it. It was something completely different. It was like a really, really immersive. Like you feel like you're in every age period when you, when you go around. Um, so you do kind of get lost in it a little bit, but yeah, it's definitely hard work. Definitely a, a learning experience as well. Yeah. Sounds like the kind of thing that it should be brought over to the UK. Do you know if there's anything similar or whether there have been any discussions about doing that in the UK? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, at the time I remember, um, I think they got as far as like looking at properties in London actually, that would, would accept this or would, would work for this kind of thing. Um, I think, I don't, I don't know a huge amount about like the business side of it. Cause I was very much on the, the artistic creative side of it, but I think really what it comes down to is just like investment and getting the right people involved. And, um, it wasn't, it was by no means like a, a low budget thing. There was like millions and millions and millions of dollars thrown into this, uh, this thing. Um, so yeah, I think it just, it probably just bureaucracy more than anything else kind of probably stalled it, but the whole show still exists. It's in storage in like three different places in like upstate New York, I think at the moment. So it all exists in, in various uh, parts. And like we had costumes made for it. We had like stages and sets made for it and it all looks amazing. So I'm sure it, it will come back in some incarnation at some point in the future. Or Chris Cross will find it in a barn in Wales in time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it'll uh, erect all in his living room. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Cross was on a, an old episode of this in which he spoke about literally just finding a farmer in Wales who had like 30 Paul Daniels props. And that's how he got them all. They're all just really, yeah, they're so all like decaying in this barn in Wales. All these like old Paul Daniels. Did he just happen across them? Did he buy them or did he just like? Yeah, he bought, he's bought them. That's why he's he's got like so much stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, no, sorry. I mean the farmer. Yeah, he, he did tell me like how mm. he met him, but it really might have been one of those weird things of him like doing a gig and someone being like, Oh, I know someone who's got something you might be interested in. Yeah. And it's, ah! <laughs> Daniel's is a storage locker. Yeah. The key. So yeah, you probably find that. But then you came back to um back to Scotland, back to Edinburgh. Did you come back just before last fringe or had you been back for a while? Uh no, I can't, well, I can't, I actually only came back for the fringe, and then I moved back to Toronto after the fringe. Um so I've only been here since uh, uh December, since Christmas time basically. Um my my visa expired so that visa that i worked hard for during covid ran out and um to get the next thing is permanent residency in canada and that's just like it's very doable but it's a lot of work and i'll, I'll do it at some point in the next couple of years but um yeah so i came back at the start of the year and obviously kind of came back to nothing really like i guess as a performer you work quite hard to sort of build like a client base or like a, an established sort of like um, bit of momentum and I sort of lost that by moving continent for three or four years no one uh, knew I was here so I didn't realize I was available to be booked so I ended up sort of deciding to create opportunities for myself rather than waiting for them to arrive um, what sort of opportunities have you been investing most time in and focusing on yeah, I mean, so I so I started a little production company, so I'm running a lot of like cabaret shows and and, and things like that, which are uh, I think quite quite like well produced. Like I'm putting a lot of time and effort into it. It's not sort of um, not that not that all cabaret shows are, but I think a lot of them are just sort of a side thing for a lot of people, and they just 
book some acts and you all just turn up. So I'm, I'm putting a lot of time and effort into the production value of them. And then the main thing is I am, um, I've taken a 10 year lease on a, on a property in Haymarket in Edinburgh, and I'm turning it into a, a little, a little magic venue. Um, so I think, I think it's the first of its kind in Edinburgh. Um, yeah, so a little, a little parlor venue is going to have a, a kind of retail shop at the front and I'm just DIYing the whole thing. So like every day, except for Mondays right now, I'm, I'm in there in my overalls and painting and varnishing and building and yeah. Yeah. So I'm keeping up to date with that on whatever you put on Instagram. So where yeah. are you at with it? Are you still very much like in the decorating phase and making this premise like suitable for people to come into sort of thing? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I'm getting there very quickly, actually. I'm hoping to open by July. So I'm very much having, hoping to have it open for the fringe. Um, when I got it, it was a, a retail unit and it used to be a, a kind of pop-up houseplant shop. So the whole place, it didn't even have like a floor in it. It had the back area, which is going to be the sort of performance room, had a lovely wooden floor, but someone had concreted over it. Um, so I took the concrete up myself by hand. I've like restored the floor myself by hand. Um, uh, the whole front space has had to be like repainted, a floor put down, um, you know, shelving put up and, and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, it's like every day I'm just doing sort of like a couple of little things and I'm getting there. Um, I think it looks very good actually. I'm pretty proud of what I've done. I've got no DIY experience at all. Um, but you learn pretty, if you've ever like painted in like a room or anything, you learn pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm excited about it. Magicians are good at that though, aren't they? Learning skills as they go along. It's just like you go across so much untrodden ground with things that have never been done before that you have to keep just teaching yourself. So. Totally. I, well, we're, we're like the king and the kings and queens of like improvising, right? We just... Yeah find things and cobble them together like even when we're making props at home you just find shit and throw it together and hope that it, it works um until it does and that's yeah. that, that's pretty much my entire ethos for this whole project to be honest <laughs> yeah i painted the room i'm in but there's a reason I, i'll have the camera pointed at the walls not the floor because right. if you see the floor you'd see all the paint that i've yeah. migrated onto the floor on my feet and walked it around <laughs> So well, this, this, is the, this is the thing It's like, I've got so much that I can do, but you have, there's also an or order to do things in. So like I, I can put the floor down, but I want to do that last so that I don't get any paint on it. And like, I can, I need to paint the walls are ready to paint except for like one area, which I need to fill holes, but like, I've got to fill it and then wait like two days until I can sand it. And then you got to wash it and wait like three hours before you can paint it. So it's just like my life at the moment is like doing two hours of work and then waiting a day for it to, to, to dry. But um getting um, there what's the what's the name of the of the the shop oh it's called wonder and co there's a little thing a little merch for you look at that oh, very nice yeah. so um, yeah your the part your parlor parlor theater out the back how many are you going to get in there so i'm hoping 30 um i think realistically it might be closer to 20 yeah I, i've not worked out it depends on the chairs i buy and just the way the room works um but yeah, it's like a, it's a really nice little room. Um, I'm having some issues with the planning department in Edinburgh, um, who are notoriously annoying, which I've found out firsthand. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely be able to turn it into some sort of sort of performance space. But however, what level I can do that at will depend on how annoying they decide to be. Yeah, it sounds really exciting. Are you going to be yeah. sort of you know 
bringing like people into lecturing there and stuff like that or is it going to be focused more on like the general no I, I think for sure i think so actually the edinburgh magic circle currently meets about four doors down in the basement of a, of a bar um, and that's just kind of coincidence but if the space is big enough for because edinburgh magic circle is really strong they have about 45 members um about 20 of them are, are regularly turn up every meeting so if it's big enough Hopefully they'll make that the kind of home of the Edinburgh Magic Circle as well. Um, so we'll get lectures happening. We'll get sort of guest performers. Um, and even if not, to be honest, I'll, I'll probably organize that stuff myself. Um, yeah, I just think Edinburgh's obviously for the fringe, but the rest of the year, such like an amazing city. There's such a big market here for like, there's tourists, there's people that want to do stuff. It's a really magical city. And the fact that there's nothing really in place for magicians, like I quite like to, to to be the one to do that so yeah well exciting you can be the new home of the edinburgh magic society yeah that's sort of the uh the plan but we'll, uh, 30 we'll... of them all 30 <laughs> yeah Dean will be turned away at the door yeah all well, right exactly or they can sit in the basement or something yeah watch the screen like blackwell we're now going to play a game that we like to call would me lie to ye so I have to do the facial expressions, Cameron. <laughs> Cameron Gibson is playing the uh, Gilded Balloon Teviot nightclub, 7pm, with one hour of insane magic during the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. He might have time to romp over and do a quick spot at uh, Absurd for us this year. But what we are going to find out now is how good of a liar he is as we play this game. Cameron, you've got three liars. Sorry, you've got two truth and a lie um would you give us all three in in a okay. row and then we will um dissect them at will totally two truths and a lie right yes not two okay i wasn't certain so i did both but i've, I've got i've got i've got all eventuality so two truths and a lie um i also have a twin brother who lives in australia I used to be in the military and I once snuck Harry Styles out of a window. Oh, these are amazing. You have not disappointed. I worked very hard on them, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> do, do you wanna ask the first question, Lawrence? Um, okay. Well, I mean, I can, I can certainly, um, <laughs> certainly use my my life experience to ask many <laughs> questions about the first one is is it a um, identical twin uh, identical twin yeah identical twin so that's a boy or a girl brother boy okay and what is the age gap between the two of you uh, like an hour and a half an hour and a half okay and what do they do in australia uh, he is a skateboarding coach. Right. Who yeah. too, like cool Aussie kids? Yeah, mainly kids, I think. Um, I think he works like a skate park, like an outdoor skate park and does kind of classes. But I think during the su summer holidays or whatever they call them over there, he kind of teaches teaches kids. Um, but just anyone who'll, who'll pay him to do it, I guess. Ah. And what part of Australia is that in? Sydney. Sydney, okay. Mm. Ava, I think, and I'm not just saying this because you're posher than me, but I think you could, it, it makes sense for you to discuss the military um, background with Cameron. Does it? I don't think that gives has any relevance to the military. 
Well, you're not a twin, are you? There's no segue. I mean, this is most relevant to you. I did have a couple of questions about the twin one as well. When when did you move over to Australia? He's been there for like five or six years now. He's been there okay. for a while. What's his name? Stuart. Stuart. Mm. Okay. Um yeah, that's that's all for the okay, for the military. Uh what type of military? Um <laughs> so in, in true magician style, it's a technicality, and I was actually in a military pipe band. Oh. But I had a, a military ID card and was paid by by the military and I was like a I wore like combats and barracks and things like that. Okay, well this I can definitely cover then. Um what what instrument were you playing? Uh, the the drums, the pipe, the snare drum. Pipe snare band drums. Okay, conveniently. Did you actually no? Did you ever play? No, I don't know what I'm asking here. Was it? Do they do they hire the military for the tattoo in Edinburgh? Is, is that what they? Um, we never actually played the tattoo, but yeah, I think there were certain parts of the bands that did the tattoo. Um. Uh, the band that I was in, the military band I was in, we did stuff at like Horse Guards in London and um, like kind of represented the military at events around the country, I guess. Okay. Yeah. How high did you climb in your ranking? Um, I was in officer training, um, but obviously like to go any further, you have to sort of... Um, sign basically a full-time contract to be in the military for, for, for me it was like a part-time on the side thing but a lot of a lot of my bandmates did end up going on to be like um officers who were basically entered via playing but to be quite honest the military part of it was the part that i hated the most so mm. um yeah and how long did you how long did you do that for about four years. About four years. When 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 were those four years? Uh, between the ages of nineteen and twenty-three. So whenever that was, I don't know. Listen, I can't do years. Like to twenty thirteen onwards, maybe twenty fourteen onwards. And was that alongside magic at the time? Or were you doing something else? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I started doing magic when I was eighteen. Um, and I was, I did it at university. So I studied engineering at university and then I sort of had a couple of options and um, after university did the military thing for a little bit alongside sort of more traditional engineering jobs and then decided to go full-time magic and been everything else. Amazing. What, what was your third story? Uh, I once snuck Harry Styles out of a window why that's my big question um one of my university friends went to high school with him and so back then i think they were just like one direction i think were just becoming quite big um but he came to visit her i think when i was in like first year of university and some people got wind i didn't really know like who like he wasn't the kind of mega star that he is is these days um and there was a kind of little crowd formed and we had to sneak him out of a window to to avoid the crowd and 
And where did you go to university? Glasgow, University of Glasgow. But so my friend did... was from like uh, um, the north. It starts with a C. I've forgotten what it's called though. You've forgotten conveniently what it's called. Yeah. So, uh, so who came to visit your friend in Glasgow University? Yeah, they went to high school together, and they were they were good friends at high school. And was it this in halls? It was halls, actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How how high? How high? Uh, ground floor. It's a oh, ground God. floor window. Yeah, quite lucky for him, I guess. Convenient again. Yeah. Very convenient. Uh, what did dear Harry Styles smell like? <laughs> what are that? That's all I need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I think just like like eighteen year old boy, like just too much aftershave. Yeah. You didn't actually have to answer that question. You could have said, "I don't remember that." Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to put myself back then. Back then. In that time you remember so well. Yeah. <laughs> right right so brother stewart in mm. sydney twin brother stewart in sydney yeah twin brother stewart in sydney an hour and a half between births and your poor mum and <laughs> teaching skateboarding harry stars you took out the window smelling like lynx africa yeah and um, <laughs> did you were you on a horse when you were playing the drums in the back? No, of the, you were walking behind. No, like marching, yeah, like walking. Because yeah. yeah. um, can't can't really do horses. Our magician, who is a lance corporal, was once telling me about being a lance corporal, and he, I was like, "So what did you do?" And he was like, "I used to play the trumpet on on a horse." And I was yeah. like, "He's taking the piss, not." Yeah. Not place a trumpet. I think, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's yeah. uh no, the drums are quite big, so like you can't really play on a horse. I mean you probably could to be fair. I don't know. I, I've only ever been on a horse once and it was in um I can't remember where it was, it was abroad somewhere, and I'm convinced the horse was trying to kill me the whole time. So I'm not, <laughs> not a huge fan of horses, to be honest. No, I'm terrified of horses. Yeah. I like them, but I think yeah, I think they're cute, but like, yeah, I think I think anything that could like easily kill me in an instant, I'm sort of like I'll stay leg length away. Yeah, I did get charged by charged up by a horse once. Um, my <laughs> friend, this is gonna sound very sorry. My friend has stables, <laughs> and uh, of course she does. And <laughs> the horse was at the other end of the field, and I was on the swing. I was a kid at the time, and. Uh, the horse bolted because he got scared and it charged at me and I had to ch like choose my options very quickly. I had one option to the left, which was the other field, but I had to go through a fence, but the fence was quite high and it was going to be quite difficult to get through or over that quickly, but it was slightly closer. Or I could charge to the other end of the field and vault the gate. So I went for that, bolted, and we were coming like at right angles towards each other and <sighs> I could leap. I'm not playing the game, Lawrence. There's no shaking your head. This is you two never vaulted anything, Ava. You say you're on a swing. I didn't know. I ran. I ran. I jumped off the swing. Ran. Right. We were coming at right angles to each other, and I basically had to leap over the fence. 
just before he, yeah. Did he hit the fence? He didn't hit the fence. No, he was charging the other directions. We were coming like like this. Right. Okay. He was. Oh, that's not very audio friendly. We're coming at right angles to each other. I I don't appreciate the interrogation here actually because (laughs) I I wasn't telling this as part of this game. This is just a true story that happened. Yeah. I feel you don't believe it. It's all of mine. Yeah. Unfortunately for you, Ava, none of that. That's all of Cameron's stories sound more believable than that. (laughs) Um, I'm ready to do a guess. Do you, yeah. Got any more questions you need to ask Ava before you do a guess? Um, I I don't think I've got any any further questions. I think I I have a a feeling about what might be true. I'm going to let you go first because I went first last time, didn't I? Yeah. They're yeah. like we normally go for the same one, and last time we went for different ones, but we were both wrong. So. Oh, really. I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna have to remember the order in which we've interviewed people now and put them out in that order otherwise oh sorry well, you can just all out of whack um <laughs> i'm i'm going solely because you're telling me there was 90 minutes between baby one and baby two were you first or second first so little baby cameron comes out off <laughs> Whole football match later. <laughs> well, no, there's no interval. <laughs> True. A whole play. Interval. That's such a theater guy. That's what they call in football an interval. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then Stuart comes out. I'm I'm going I'm going that's the lie, Ava. Okay. Then I'll go for Harry Styles out the window. Even though I feel like you might be t- trying to bluff me by looking uncertain about the story and trying to double bluff it, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I'll go for the Harry Styles jumping out the window is the lie. All right. So the lie is I do not have a twin brother. Ah, oh, damn it. Yeah. That. yeah, good effort. Oh, I should have looked that up as well. I, did, I thought of everything else. I thought of every other detail. I didn't even think for a second the, the difference in time between us. Is it actually um, possible for a second twin to come out that late, that much later? I I think that they would have uh, cut the second one out oh, and waited so. that long, I'm afraid. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to, how to answer that because I feel like some labours are like two days long, aren't they? So I was thinking maybe, maybe an hour and a half isn't long enough. Maybe there's like a day between them. Well, you know, they're not twins, are they? if they're born on different days, then <laughs> when you break um, the seal, Cameron, you break the seal. Um, <laughs> there's ten minutes between myself and, and my dear old twin, Kane from Kane and Abel. Um, good knowledge for the next two truths and a lie, I do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was such a bold lie, though. I loved that you were like, "I'm going to lie <laughs> to a twin that I am also a twin." When I don't know that much about the labour of twins and giving birth to yeah. them. Well, I thought that maybe I could bluff it. Him being abroad is important because I feel like people would be like, oh, I've never yeah. seen somebody that looks like you like on your social media or anything like that. So, yeah. Hmm. I thought, I'm glad that it's not true because in a way I thought it sounded quite, you were quite estranged as brothers uh, in the in the <laughs> yeah. life. You weren't yeah. close. He'd moved to Australia six years ago and I'd never even no. heard you speak about him. 
I almost convinced myself to be honest. I like for a minute I was living the lie. I was like, oh, should give him a call. Yeah. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as I get off this, I'm gonna have to call up because I I don't really know what he does. <laughs> he makes an entire living just through skateboarding lessons. I was impressed with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Feels like a Australian eloper thing to do. Yeah. All right. So well, very good. Cameron, thank you ever so much for joining us. Good thank would me lie to ye. Would me lie to ye. And um, we will see you up in Scotland, in Glasgow, in Edinburgh. You, God, you do a lot of shows, don't you? Try my best. You've got to do all the, um, well, I mean, one just one hour of insane magic. You've got to start on the Wednesday. Yep. Wednesday the the last Monday, which was an admin oversight but we're stuck with it now so we'll blame luke for that one i reckon yeah we've actually sold some tickets for the, the last monday which is pretty unbelievable can't believe it don't yeah. know who, who who does that last monday is usually completely dead yeah. performers usually will book on for shows like that it's quite sure nice to say if you're a performer to go and catch well, the show 11 for it already so yeah should be fun that's very good yeah yeah, I tend to, I saw something last Monday and I remember being really hungover and like going in being like, oh man, I might throw up. And obviously like yeah. in the front row because it's quiet. But it was a very good hangover cure. So yeah, anyone who's hungover on Monday, the 28th of August, go and see yeah. one hour of insane magic because if, yeah. if that doesn't sort you out at seven o'clock, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll probably be hungover too, so... Yeah. Might even be drunk. It's the last show. Doesn't really matter, does it? Might as well be. Um, well, is Luke still... Luke's not drunk all the time anymore, is he? No. He saw the dr massive, humongous drawbacks to that as a concept. So he's just doing a, a show this year without being drunk the whole time. Yeah. I guess the, the caveat to add is that Luke did a drunk magic show when he was like, I have to be drunk for every show. Yeah, and he genuinely was as well. He was um, really, really drunk at every single show. And after four days, we said to him, you're going to struggle after four days. And he's like, no, I'll be fine. But yeah, you can't, you can't get completely drunk every single night for 28 days and, um, and still be excited about doing a magic show, it turns out. He was committed to that cause. I remember him literally sitting in a bar going, well, I have to have a couple of drinks now because this is part of my job yeah i was like you could just you could just act it a little bit like, he's like no i have to yeah. Be drunk. yeah i know right yeah magician refusing to lie for uh for <laughs> show. Is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah yeah all right happy days thanks mate we will see you up there oh see you yeah. soon looking forward to seeing you soon